my dad used to have a saying, if you start something, you finish it. But if you find yourself in the middle of something you didn't start and someone needs your help, don't ever turn your back on them. And that's, that's hard. The biggest ever survey of our country's lawyers has confirmed a stark reality, that our legal aid system is broken. The New Zealand Law Society says the legal aid system is collapsing and tens of thousands of people are missing out on justice because they cannot afford a lawyer. New Zealand's legal aid debt has reached $177 million, much of it owed by some of our poorest citizens. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, a system designed to help people navigate the courts is in crisis. A new Law Society survey has found that in the last year, 20,000 people who've qualified for legal aid were turned away by overloaded lawyers. The workload's too heavy and lawyers are burnt out. They are really caught in a situation where, like myself, wanting to become a lawyer to help people, but facing, for the first time, I think, a future where we're not sure we can keep doing that, because to do it would be to break ourselves. And the bar for getting help in the first place is near impossible. I thought if I ever needed legal aid, I might be able to get it. I had no idea that the legal aid eligibility threshold is just so tough. How do we fix our legal aid system? I knew nothing about legal aid. And so when I started looking into it, I was quite shocked. Farah Hancock is a data and long-form journalist at RNZ. She started looking into legal aid as part of an in-depth series about New Zealand's justice system. There's criminal legal aid, and that's the easiest to get. If there's a chance you could go to jail for six months or more and you can't afford a lawyer you apply to get criminal legal aid. They do look at your financial situation, um, but there's no fixed eligibility thresholds. But for civil or family cases, it's a lot harder. So what you have to do is you've got to prove that you meet the eligibility, the financial eligibility thresholds, and they're really low. So for a single person, you can't earn more than, I think it's around 24000 a year. You pretty much need to be on a benefit, but even then, say superannuation, you still earn too much for legal aid. Veterans pension, you earn too much for legal aid. If you do sort of qualify financially for civil and family legal aid, your first step really is trying to find a lawyer who will take you on. So you basically, there's a list published and you've got to work through the list, phone the lawyers up, and if they can take you on, they might say yes or they might say no. So that can be quite a problem on its own. So there's places in New Zealand where there's hardly anybody doing certain types of legal aid. On the West Coast, there's one person doing civil legal aid. So he is, um, I think there's about 31,500 people living on the West Coast, and they've got one lawyer who is approved to take on civil legal aid cases. He told me he's so overworked that three or four times a year, he stops taking on any legal aid work for a month. So people there have to try and find legal aid lawyers from outside the West Coast. And you're thinking, these are people who, they don't have much money, otherwise they wouldn't be eligible for legal aid. And to ask them or to want them to travel to, um, say, Nelson, Marlborough or Christchurch, that's quite a big ask. And yeah, I talked to a lot of lawyers. I think I interviewed almost a dozen lawyers at the coalface when I was working on these stories. And some of them say they're having to turn away people all the time. There's one guy, his name starts with a W, so he says, on an alphabetical list, I'm towards the end, and by the time people ring him, he said he can hear 
absolute desperation in their voice because they've kind of figured out that they're not going to be able to find someone to represent them. We'll come back to Farah soon, but first, the Law Society president, Tiana Epati, breaks down just how many legal aid lawyers there are in the country. So there are just over 3,000 who are approved to do legal aid, but only 2,000, according to 2021 data, are what we call active. And all you have to do to qualify to be an active provider is have done one legal aid file in the last 12 months. And so that once you understand that, then it, you understand that, you know, 77% of legal aid lawyers have had to turn away uh, clients seeking a, seeking a lawyer. Um, and we conservatively estimated based on the answers we were given in the survey that that's 20,000, 20,000 times um, people have been turned away in the last 12 months. And and how many legal aid lawyers currently are saying they want to leave or they intend to leave? 25% of all legal aid lawyers across all jurisdictions have indicated that they'll be doing less or none at all in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. In some parts of the country, it's more than others. So down in the South Island, it's 35%. And that's certainly something we knew about before we went into the survey, that We had a particular problem down south with only one lawyer, I think, under the age of 60, who's approved to do serious criminal trials. So in in five years' time, it may very well be that people down south will have no choice about being able to get a lawyer to represent them in a serious criminal matter. What does that mean for people? It means that you have a system which is meant to ensure a fundamental right, that you have right to access justice and and you will still have that right even when you can't afford a lawyer. So when you have a situation where you can't afford to privately instruct a lawyer and there are no lawyers willing to undertake, you know, this government-funded scheme that's not meeting its purpose, then you don't have any legal representation. And what we're seeing more and more is people representing themselves. But I would say what's probably more common... I mean, my experience is that people just give up. And there was um, reference in the case studies in the survey to a father who he couldn't, couldn't get a legal aid lawyer and the stress of representing himself in a custody case was just too much. So the, the more common scenario in my experience is that people give up on fighting, you know, to see their kids. They give up on fighting ACC to cover, a, a, you know, a workplace injury their car gets seized, they can't protect their job, they can't protect their family, they can't protect their housing, their liberty. So that the, the costs, the downstream costs are life-changing and I'd say from a social well-being perspective, dire. Is there any breakdown on the kinds of cases that people require legal aid for, like any commonalities? So they're roughly every year there's about 70, 78,000 legal aid applications or grants. And the the bulk of them, about 57% are criminal, 20,000 are family, and then you've got a smattering of Waitangi Waitangi Tribunal is actually really, really small. And then civil legal aid, which is very rare, is only about 1,000 applications. And is there any ethnicity breakdown? No, they they don't gather ethnicity when you apply for legal aid. But it's, it's easy enough to say, well, okay, of the, 70, of the 78,000 legal aid applications, of which 50, 57,000 or 58,000 are criminal, 
it's easy enough to look at the criminal jurisdiction and say, well, Māori and Pacific feature pretty prominently in that jurisdiction because we know that 46% of charges laid by the police are uh, against Māori, 8.7% against Pacific Islanders. And in, in terms of incarceration rates, those those are well known. Over 50% Māori um, criminal, you know, prison population, uh, 12% Pacific. It gets harder when you look at uh, Māori women. Um, it's been said before that New Zealand lead the world in our incarceration rate of Indigenous women. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that I see a lot of in Gisborne because the women here, when they are incarcerated, they get taken all the way up to Auckland Women's Prison. Mm. So there's a double whammy there. They they are up there and their families are not in a financial position to do the 14-hour round trip. They, they go up there, they never see their kids again or their family members. I mean, I've turned up to Auckland Women's Prison to see a client and been the only person that that woman has seen in 10 months I've said it before, this is, a, this is a system and people are accessing a system, but they're not accessing justice. Tiana Epati has been doing legal aid work for the last 10 years and says it normally takes up to 80% of her time. I've always wanted to be a lawyer. Ever since I was a kid, my dad was a lawyer and I used to watch him helping people and particularly people in distress. So... I naturally gravitated towards becoming a criminal lawyer. Um, I started out as a Crown prosecutor, which was great because I had a great training ground and lots of really good lawyers to learn from. But ultimately, I've always wanted to be a defence lawyer. Yeah, my friends of mine will say overdeveloped sense of empathy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when people are in tricky situations uh, or distress, yeah, and they need someone to be in their corner. And how have you found doing legal aid for the past decade, really? Increasingly difficult. I say increasingly because 10 years ago, that was when the government had introduced a whole lot of cuts to the legal aid system as it was then. And then with each year passing by and no increase or no investment, really, um, in its sustainability, it's just become harder and harder. I'm a partner in a small provincial law firm, um, but it's getting harder and harder for me to do legal aid work and run a run a law practice with um, employees and you know law library and all the reasonable costs that come with ensuring that you are up to date and meeting a professional standard. Legal aid has just become a situation where that's that's just not possible. So slowly but surely, I've just done less and less of it. The stress of it, that, that's another factor on top of just being able to run a practice on legal aid. And when I say stress, you, you're dealing with people with complex needs. And there's a whole lot of stuff that happens outside of just being a lawyer that I think most legal aid lawyers just accept that they will do. So what um, kind that, of things? So like... Uh, I had a client who had had a baby and it was looking likely that she was going to be sentenced to imprisonment. So on top of preparing for um, quite a high-stakes sentencing, I also had to arrange for alternative childcare for her. When she went to prison and was separated from her five-month-old baby, I then went straight into um, alternative plan mode. I had to get nappies, formula, 
uh, food parcel. I had to write a letter to WINS so that her mother's benefit could be increased eventually so that she could care for this child. Um, lawyers talk of arranging for food, clothes to wear to court. It's not uncommon to have to write letters to WINS for a petrol voucher just so they can attend a legal appointment. So that's, that's the kind of extra burden that legal aid lawyers carry for which they won't get paid, and that's fine, but it just adds. It adds to the mounting weight of having to act on these files. Just the complex needs for people in distress is hard, and then I think when it becomes financially unsustainable that you're losing, you're actually losing money to undertake work which is really stressful and carries a huge emotional toll on you, it, it's not hard to realise that no matter how well-intended you are, and we're talking about a pool of lawyers that have also said in this survey, they take huge satisfaction you know, out of what they do, huge moral, moral responsibility to community. But eventually that wears thin because you get burnt out and you can't take care of your, your, your family, your, your own employees, your own law firm. The survey told us that over 80% of the entire legal profession gave away legal assistance for free in the last 12 months. Hmm. So again, this idea that, oh, well, you know, everyone, everyone should do something. Everyone should carry the burden. The reality is that the entire legal profession actually does. And it's not enough to satisfy the demand. Legal aid lawyers earn between $92 and $159 an hour. The Ministry of Justice says those rates haven't changed in 13 years. Compare that to a Crown prosecutor, also paid by the government, who earns more than $300 an hour. And for those needing legal aid, it's also not actually free. Legal aid is a loan and in, in many cases you have to pay it back. And I kind of jumped up in the office when I found out and was going, did you know it's a loan? Did you know it's And nobody else did. So for civil legal aid cases, about 65% of people who get a, a grant have to pay that grant back. And if you don't pay it back, well... Six months after your your matter's finalised, they start charging interest on that loan. The Ministry of Justice says an 8% interest rate charge was introduced in 2014 as an incentive for people to pay their legal aid loans back. But four years later, it says it has no proof that the so-called incentive has worked. The the interest rate changes, and it's, it's a government rate. It would have been 8%. I think it's been 8%, 6%, 5%. This current one. 5% interest on the loan? Yes, 5%. That can be quite tough for people. We're talking about people who didn't have much to begin with to be eligible for legal aid, and then you're putting interest of 5% on what they owe, so that's really hard. The other thing that can happen is if you have an asset, say a house or a boat or a car, they can say, we'll put what they call a charge. It's like a caveat over that asset, and then if you sell that asset, they'll take money from it to pay off your legal aid debt. So there's several houses, I think it's about 1,200 houses or pieces of land in New Zealand with a, a charge hanging over them for legal aid debt this year. One lawyer told me of people on the benefit three years later, they're still paying back their legal aid debt, sort of weekly, just chipping away at it. I've talked to this, um, this one man had a situation where he, he basically said he got ripped off by his boss, his boss wasn't paying him his wages properly, didn't pay him his holiday pay, several thousand dollars. 
out of pocket. He had to go to court to try and get that money back. He got legal aid. They put a caveat, a charge over his house. Now, he said that case went on for, it was more than five years. And all that time, the legal aid debt he was racking up was building up. But he was under tremendous stress. And he and his wife, they'd have these conversations going, look, is it worth it? This is causing us, you know, this court case, which was quite bitter, was causing them so much stress. But they felt if they gave it up, without getting the settlement at the end or the payout at the end, they couldn't afford to pay back the legal aid. So they felt that they were completely trapped in this situation. Now, by the time it all got added up, it was $23,000, the legal aid debt. The government's budget gives more money to legal aid over the next five years, but the jury's out on whether it'll help the most disadvantaged people in the country access justice. Over the next year, funding will go up almost $48 million, with an additional $10 million on top of that each year through till 2023. They didn't specify exactly where that was going, and I think that's just to carry on paying for the little that they do deal with now with a growing population. I don't think any of that is to going to be enough to increase lawyers' rates or allow for a raising of um, eligibility criteria. There was supposed to be a three-yearly review of legal aid. The last one was in 2018, and all of these issues were raised, um, and, and also sort of the administrative workload. They were told that no changes would be made because there was no budget money for it. There was supposed to be another review this year, 2021. Um, Minister of Justice Chris Farfoy cancelled that because he thought, we already know the problems another review isn't going to help us understand them. And he said they're still working on trying to sort out the issues raised in 2018. We know that the legal aid system has been under strain for some time. I met with the president of the Law Society last week ahead of them making their findings public from their survey. He didn't say anything more than what he's already said in the media, which is that he has concern. What has the reaction been to the survey? Oh, it's been overwhelming, actually. There have been quite a few law academics who've written their own opinion pieces who support our plea to government. There have been independent groups like the Aotearoa Legal Workers Union, uh, media, uh, members of the public have written to me um, of their experiences going through the court's having a legal aid lawyer, how how much respect they have for the care and attention that these lawyers have given them. It's been quite overwhelming to see people almost for the first time understand how hard this situation is for lawyers who undertake this work. So do you feel like people didn't quite understand before this? Yes, I think that there is this popular misconception about lawyers that we all have these plush offices and we drive expensive cars and we look like something out of suits, whereas for the two to 3,000 that do legal aid work, nothing could be further from the truth. Over time, they've increasingly had to reduce their overheads just to break even, so they have you know, little, little rooms that they hire in the old post office box and it's pretty humble. Uh, not that they're in it for the money, but um, it's just it's nothing like that. And I think one academic said, less, less Harvey Specter and more Atticus Finch. We're talking about good, good people who go well, 
and truly beyond to provide a service for those in need. How do we fix the system? We have to invest in legal aid as a system. So there at the very least needs to be um, fair, sustainable rates so that lawyers can actually undertake the work and pay their bills. That's that's a simple, you know, just adjusting for CPI, which hasn't been done for, you know, 13 years is a good start. You need to be able to fund junior lawyers. I had a junior rate, but given the diminishing numbers of legal aid lawyers, we need to start training up the new generation immediately. And I say immediately because the 25% who've indicated they're about to walk are the senior end, and they are the only ones who can train up um, new lawyers. So you need you need to have sustainable rates so the senior lawyers stay. You need to provide an opportunity for junior lawyers to come in. And then I think longer term, you need to have a good look at wraparound support services. So this idea that legal aid lawyers are also quasi-social workers and do all this extra work to support someone with high complex needs, that, that's, not, that's not really sustainable either. So there needs to be a kind of a holistic approach to uh, people who are in distress, who are caught up in the legal system. Are you hopeful that the government will do something about this? I am hopeful, but I'm also aware of the last 10 years of um, the same pleas going uh, unanswered. I think that, yes, this on this occasion it's different. We've really levelled up in terms of telling the story, shedding light on what is a crisis. But, yeah, I, I'll, I'll wait and see, Jesse. I'm just... <laughs> It's, it's too heartbreaking to get my hopes up. Now we're facing an even bigger backlog. 47,000 court events adjourned, 3,500 jury trials, over 1,000 of those in Auckland. And I think what we're, we're getting to a place where the well-being of criminal lawyers in particular has markedly gotten worse. The survey confirmed that Overall, the profession's well-being was was relatively the same, except for legal aid lawyers. They had become markedly worse, and so they, you know, they are really caught in a situation where, like myself, wanting to become a lawyer to help people, but facing for the first time, I think, a future where we're not sure we can keep doing that, because to do it would be to break ourselves in the process. That's really hard. Um, that's a really hard thing to have to face up to. And as I say, you know, I, I understand that because I'm one of those people who that's all I've ever wanted to do. And looking to the future and thinking, I don't think I don't think I can do that anymore. That's a very difficult thing to confront. It's Sorry. really heavy. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's really heavy, isn't it? Yeah. But this is not, I mean, I hear this all the time from other lawyers. Uh, it, well, I think what's surprising, it's the senior ones now, the, the real pillars of criminal and family justice. They are the ones who are saying, I don't know how long we can hang in there for, Tiana. So we've held the line for quite a while, you know, based on goodwill, based on the fact that we believe in what we do. But the mountain that we now have to climb in terms of getting back on top of the backlog, it's tough. 
That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and is a joint newsroom and RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every weekday on any podcast platform. Adrian Holle engineered this episode, Alexia Russell produced it, and thanks to Farah Hancock and Tiana Epati. Kakete anō. Mm-hmm.